you know, we don't have time to waste to just sit on the ugly. Um, and I still struggle with that. I think we all do. I, I tend to be a people pleaser type of person and I, I want to do right by people, but, um, I, I think it's, I've been through enough, uh, that I just want to live my life the way that I think I should, um, and, and do the best I can in the process. So I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is just to kind of let go of the expectations, uh, that I think I perceived were put on me, uh, that I don't know if they actually existed. Um, and I'm getting better at it. I'm not great. Uh, but it's a, it's a growth process just like anything else. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. Today, I will be chatting with Danielle Remigio. And Danielle lives in the Boston area. She is a student affairs professional. Uh, she actually uh, had a TEDx talk, and that's actually how I found her, was through this TEDx talk about grief that she did. And the topic of that TEDx call uh, talk is called Cleaning Up the Grief Process. So today we'll be chatting about her, her grief journey, as well as everything that's come from that and all the growth. So welcome, Danielle. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So let's start a little bit with just some chit chat. So tell us sure. a little more about where you live and um, and what you do. So you said student affairs. So, so let's let's talk about that. Your yeah, work. <laughs> yeah. So I have been a New England person my whole life. Uh, pretty much in the Boston area. I grew up about half hour north of the city. Now I live about a half hour south of the city. Uh, I lived in Rhode Island for a little bit. I went to school in Springfield, Mass. So pretty much Mass and Rhode Island have been have been my place. But um, when I went to college, I realized I really wanted to work with college age students. And that's what I got my master's in. Um, and I did a lot of work in emergency response, mental health counseling, uh, in a college setting, not in a counseling center, but through my work in housing. Uh, and I realized that there's just so many ways that you can impact people. And I've felt really good about it. Um, I joke, my, my parents are kind of an amalgamation of what I became professionally because my mom primarily was a stay-at-home mom and my dad was in law enforcement as a police officer. You put those together and I kind of joke that that's residence life at a college. Um, and now I work in student conduct, conflict resolution, managing crisis, following up on issues. So I kind of bring an empathetic edge to the processes with all that stuff. Um, and I've been doing it for about 13 years. So it's been... Oh. 
Uh, it's been a you great look time. So, yeah, you look like a <laughs> college student yourself. Like, oh, I wouldn't you. imagine I, you I having been working for 13 years. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually, I finished my undergrad degree uh, just over 10 years ago at this point, but I finished my master's eight years ago. Yeah. But thank you. Cool. That makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, you do. You're so young. So you were mentioning then all the things that your parents did. Do you have siblings? Yeah. Did you grow up with siblings and a big family? Small family, so, a lot of family around you. Tell us a little bit about that upbringing. Yeah, I have a massive family, uh, <laughs> but in in the household, it was my parents and my sister and I. So I have one younger sister. She's four years younger. Uh, she's great. She works with kids. So I, you know, I work with the college age and she works with babies uh, and absolutely loves it. So that's really great. Uh, but we're one... Um, we're two of 12 grandkids on my dad's side of the family, and he has a significantly large extended family. Uh, some are in this area, but most are actually in Canada, uh, because that's where he grew up when he was a child. Uh, and then my mom's side is just as big. It's it's very large. Not as many first cousins for me on that side, but it's still it's a very large extended family. Um, I always have a cousin doing something and my friends get confused. Like, which cousin is this? Because uh, there's just a lot of us. Um, but it's it's really great um, when there's 17 people my age and younger uh, when I'm at Christmas. And um, it's a great, great feeling. We're all really close. We have, you know, text message uh, group chains. We right. have a uh-huh. fantasy football league, you know, like all these, all these different things to try to connect us. But um, definitely a really great uh, close-knit family. So they're like your family, your fram. They could be your friends and your family, all Absolutely. your cousins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like no need for friends when you have 17 cousins all your age or something. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, regarding the career that you do in this last few years with the pandemic and so forth, were, did you still work in the same capacity because I know a lot of kids ended up doing some of these semesters at home. So how did your uh, role change in what you did in the last couple of years? Yeah. So it definitely shifted where the staff that I oversaw did a lot of work to help the students that were still on campus. So the school that I worked at still had some people that were, were on. Uh, So there was still a lot of emergencies, a lot of, mental health. And I feel like, you know, relevant to this, uh, people were grieving their past life of what it was like before the pandemic, or they were grieving that they didn't have a senior year of high school that was normal or a first year of college that they considered normal. Uh, So there was a lot more issues that we were trying to help with in that regard. Um, It was nice in a way, you know, I got to work from home a couple days a week, which I had never been able to do uh, really but otherwise it was it was pretty similar still handling emergencies and and dealing with students that were having a hard time adjusting completely understandably it was definitely it's a hard time for the world uh to have to try to manage what a new normal looks like and letting go of what was because i don't think it'll ever be exactly the same yeah you you touched on something that i always talk about in this podcast, even in my intro, that it's about changes and transitions in life. Grief Mm -hmm. is about changes and transitions in life. And some of these may be those sad, hard transitions, but even Mm -hmm. happy transitions can also lead to a lot of 
grief yeah. as well. Even a children, even like a parent, for example, having their child start college, the parent is going to experience some grief. The child yeah. will experience some grief as well. They're mm -hmm. leaving the home. You know, things are not the same. They don't have, you know, that little close-knit support system. There's a lot. So for you to be working in that environment and overall, like, you, you and with the students, you probably are there to support them and be kind of that mama bear, I guess, to some <laughs> extent for them <laughs> as well, right? Yeah, especially I used to live uh, on campus in my in my role. I would manage buildings and I definitely had some students that called me mom uh, and had that. So um, definitely something I can relate to is just being that empathetic figure that they could just walk into my office and sit down and cry or share whatever was happening to them. So mm -hmm. it was definitely... We tried to make it home away from home as much as we can. Yes. Now, we'll be going into your grief journey in a bit, but just yeah. curious, has that empath empathy changed for you? It, has it expanded within you based on the grief experience you've had in your life and the losses? I would say so. I think there was ebbs and flows, especially with how I personally re reacted to each death that I experienced. Um but I would say overall, especially a few years out from uh, my dad's death, who is the most, uh, the biggest recent. impact that was, yeah, most recent, um, I would definitely say I am more empathetic. And I think that just comes from life experience. You see things in a different perspective when you've gone through it yourself. And I definitely approach how I respond to someone in grief differently. Um, I'm a little bit more patient. I'm a little bit more understanding. I give a little bit more space uh, and time to address things than I may have before. I think I was a, you know, standard Boston, move quickly, get things done, just push through it type of person. And I think through some of my losses, I realized that's not how I want to live. And I think people who are going through major changes can't sustain that type of pace and it's not healthy. So um, I've definitely learned a lot over the past few years. And I think it's helped me to, to put some things in perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it all like, it's yeah. like you, you go through something hard to then be able to understand either more about yourself or even just more about others. And um, yeah, it shifts things for sure. Mm -hmm. So let's talk now about then your mom's passing, which is yeah. the first one uh, that you mm -hmm. experienced. I'm, I'm sure probably other things, but these were the, you have three major ones. So yeah. um, take us into that experience as to what, what your mom passed away from and, and sure. a little bit of your grieving tools then. Yeah. So I would say so this was March, 2016. Um, I remember my dad calling me saying, Hey, you should probably call your mom. She hasn't been feeling well the past couple of days. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so I'd called her on a Monday and she had said that she had had fluctuating fevers, uh, wasn't really feeling well, couldn't really breathe well. Um, and in the past she, she was a smoker, uh, and had had bouts of bronchitis. So, that type of sickness wasn't something that was uncommon to her health history. Um, but she's like, yeah, you know, I, I take Advil and then as soon as it wears off the fever spikes and it, it, she kept saying that there was like a cyclical pattern. I'm like, that means it's not working and something else is wrong. It's something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'm like you should probably go to the doctors. Um, so she said that she was going to go the next day. And then I was at work 
and I got a phone call the next morning uh, from my dad saying that the night before my mom had actually collapsed um, and needed to get taken to the hospital. So I immediately took a train and, and got to the hospital and uh, we found out that she had to be put into an induced coma because she had uh, the flu that had transitioned into pneumonia uh, and her lungs weren't able to heal uh, because they were under too much stress. They were hoping that the coma would help her body rest and heal. Um, we almost got out of the woods by Friday. They were going to take her out of it and they said things were responding and then it kind of um, started to, to go downhill again. So by that late Sunday night, um, my dad, my sister and I were in the hospital probably, oh my gosh, probably around midnight, maybe, uh, having to make the choice to take my mom off life support at that point. Cause it, it wasn't gonna get any better. So, uh, I remember sitting in a room with the doctor with just my dad, cause he didn't want my sister in, in the room. Um, and we had to make that choice. So that was really difficult because, you know, we hadn't really had a big family loss like that in a really long time. And obviously it was my mom and I and didn't know which way week, it was up. One week, one yeah. week that it mm -hmm. all changed like that. So, yep. It was like one day I was talking to her and, and the next I was at the hospital and she was going into a coma and I never talked to her again. Um, so it was, it was really difficult a lot of eyes were on me. My dad was really struggling with how to move forward. They were high school sweethearts. Uh, he didn't know how to use a debit card or how to do certain things because my mom managed everything. Uh, it's so interesting. More, yeah. So, okay. Actually, now that you're saying this, because we're talking about your background being Portuguese yeah. background, that is common in the Portuguese background as well. Yeah. Is it right? The matriarch, a little bit more of that? Is that normal, definitely right? traditional roles? Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Okay. My dad was the breadwinner uh, for the most part, and um, he just trusted my mom wholeheartedly to manage yes. everything in our household, and she did it well. He just had no idea how she did it, and so okay. I had to help, you know, manage like what bank accounts and how things went into them, and oh. how to how to move forward. So I was definitely a big a big part of that, um, but yeah, you know, I had to help plan the funeral and you know, figure out, I, I gave the eulogy, uh, for my mom, which was difficult. Um, but I knew it was going to end up being me. Um, my dad had a lot of trust in me as a writer, uh, and a, and a speaker. Um, so he put me up for that. Um, and I think it was just a lot of stress and, and pressure, um, to try to handle all at once. So it's, um, it's so much, right? Because, and especially during these um, really hard times, all of these different little roles that we kind of take, mm -hmm. like, you know, like responsibilities that maybe had there been another person in the family that had a little bit mm -hmm. of different skill, then that role would have gone to them. But the maybe. fact that because of your personality and so forth, that these kind of responsibilities went to to you um do you remember when you gave the eulogy do you remember how it felt in terms of were you, how do I like <laughs> when you think of that day I, I mean I'm saying this in first-hand experience of that so do you remember yourself 
in the moment or do you see yourself kind of like an outsider when you remember that day of you oh. even speaking? Does that make sense what I'm saying? It does. For hers, I remember it in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. When I gave my dad's, I definitely see that, you know, thousand Third foot person view. view. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say there was a difference, but I can remember really wanting to do her justice uh, because she was definitely the quiet unsung hero. Uh, my dad was a very large personality um, and she just kind of sat back and I feel like sometimes she felt forgotten uh, even though without her just the the fabric of our family would have unraveled because uh, she did everything. So I, I tried really hard to bridge bringing her to life and also honoring who she was uh, and trying to, to, to find how to balance those things. So I think there is such an intentionality behind hers, especially since it was my first time giving a eulogy um, for someone that impactful that I, I can remember that very clearly, like mm. shaking at the altar and uh, being in church. And yeah, that was, that was difficult. Mm -hmm. That, um, that was uh, just how many days after her passing that you had the, um, I don't, I don't uh, know if culturally, culture wise, or what the process yeah, is. Yeah, so of we're, uh, we're Catholic, uh, mm -hmm. Portuguese Catholic. And so she died the Sunday going into Monday. Uh, and we had her wake on the Thursday funeral that Friday. So it was five days just later. Five days yeah. of having to. Yeah. to to gather mm -hmm. up whatever little courage yeah. and <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and and speak yeah it's so much but it's also so moving when you are experiencing as an audience as family being you know hearing that firsthand from someone that knows the disease so well you know mm -hmm. it's like it's so much more heartfelt you know I right. think than it is a family member that speaks for the rest of the people uh, sure. and in their own grief journey so mm -hmm. um, that was beautiful that you did do that as hard as it yeah. was mm -hmm. so from there on then this happened 2016 your mom and my mom yeah. died the same year oh, my wow. mom also died 2016 what what uh, was then your process after that because I'm sure if you said your dad didn't know a lot of these things the business yeah. of the, the house management and stuff um take us into how was it then aiding your dad in that process of kind of the home and at the same time navigating your grief and aiding him and your sister in their grief mm -hmm. journey it I would say I did the best I could for them and it was a very dark time for me. Um, I feel like I put everyone and everything ahead of my own well-being at that point. Um, I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't eating well. I, I'm not a big like alcohol drinker, but I was definitely drinking more and I lived alone. So I was drinking more alone. Um, that, and people were starting to notice like friends cause I would send, you know, pictures or whatever. And, um, it didn't impact my work at all. Um, at least that piece of it. Um, I was definitely struggling at work. I wasn't as patient. I wasn't, um, as present as I probably could have been. 
Um, but I put a lot of my effort into, you know, what happens now? What happens now? What do I do? Um, I definitely had a lot of anger towards people who would complain about their parents or their moms um, because I just didn't understand. I'm like, do you not see what I just went through? And I didn't have a lot of patience for it. Um, my sister struggled and she kind of shut a lot of us out and uh, it was just very difficult, but I just tried to keep that door open. And um, as time went on, you know, it got, it got a little bit better. Um, and a couple months later, my dad suggested that I start going to therapy and I resisted for a little bit and, um, which is interesting cause I've always been a very large advocate for it. Uh, I think I was just stubborn in that, that point. Uh, so that June, um, I decided to set up an appointment with actually the woman who was my mother's therapist to try to help with that transition, just to talk to someone who knew her, but also didn't necessarily know me, um, which ended up being helpful. Uh, and I, I, I've been with her for like since then. Um, and she's been, she's been a great support system. So, um, that actually, uh, changed a lot in terms of helping me learn the language to talk about things and talk about grief. And funny enough, um, the first time I saw her was the same day that I found out that my grandfather died three months after my mom. So it just worked out that the appointment was the same day. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So funny how that schedule worked out, but it was, it was actually the same day. Yeah. Yeah. So your grandfather, and then tell me the grandfather name in, in Portuguese, Vavu, 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 yeah, Vavu, <laughs> Vavu. your Vavu then, uh, was he your mom's dad or your dad's dad? My dad's dad. Your My dad's, dad's dad. dad. Mm-hmm. So for your dad then, three months after then, it's also then experiencing then the loss of his father. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So take us into then yeah. how did how uh, what other things transpired from there because yeah, that's so a lot in such a short period of time it it was and I remember going to see him in the hospital before he died uh he was older um so it was definitely a different process because we recognized he had four kids 12 grandkids you know lived a really great life um that he could really be proud of. He definitely was the patriarch of our family, mm-hmm. uh, moving everyone from the Azores in Portugal to Canada and then bringing some down to the United States. Um, he was fluent in three languages, uh, as a lot of my family is. Uh, I wish I was, but a lot of my family is. Uh, and he was just like the beacon. Uh, plus my dad and my grandfather were like <laughs> jokingly the only two tall Portuguese people you've ever seen uh they were both like six three uh type of people um so they were very recognizable and and wonderful um I was then told that my dad offered up my services to give the eulogy for him as well and <laughs> I, <laughs> I was told that my, yeah. my, my services my my services were called upon once again, and I got a little mad. Um, like, do you realize I just did this for mom three months ago? And he's like, but you're so good. You can do it. Like, he just, he wasn't thinking, but um, I'm actually happy that I did because it was, that one I felt at the point had a lot of pressure because how do you encapsulate someone who's lived on two continents and three countries and and been this, like, beacon for everyone in the family for mm-hmm. so long and how I, in my head, I was just his oldest grandchild, you know, but, um, 
I ended up having to give that twice because he was in Canada when he passed. Um, so we did the services up there where I gave the eulogy and then it was actually translated by a cousin to Portuguese for the rest of my family. Uh, and then the next week or so, uh, we did it in the States, um, down here for immediate family here. So, um, I had to do that. It was a lot. Um, and I was very nervous and I think that came out as anger, uh, cause I was just very overwhelmed with having to go through the, the planning process again. And, uh, but I remember having a lot of support from some of my, my cousins that are around my age and, um, you know, talking to them, sharing drafts and, you know, how do I do this and, um, being able to reminisce. So it was, it brought a lot of the cousins, like my generation of cousins closer, uh, after that happened. Well, talk about having uh, experience then talking on, uh, on stage that would prepare <laughs> you then for later on when you did your TED talk, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> Being under pressure and all that. What a, what a great Definitely. preparation. Yeah. So, um, okay. And then share with us then the what now, because you've already shared that your dad then passed away. So mm-hmm. what were the circumstances around your dad's passing? Yeah. So that was October of 2017. So it was only about 18 months in between both my parents. Uh, I was just about to turn 29 at that point. Um, so I was 28 and had no parents at that point. So it was, it was really wild. Um, I was actually at a wedding down in North Carolina and, um, the morning after the wedding, I got a phone call from my dad's police station, uh, where he worked and I was very confused why they were calling me. And, uh, they told me I needed to get home very quickly, uh, cause my dad had been in an accident. He had, um, he was an avid motorcycle rider. He was state trained through the police department and, um, was very safe. And he was driving home on a Sunday morning and, someone um was driving on the northbound side of the highway and decided to cross over the state trooper overpass like the crossover on the highway uh and hit uh caused a collision there so um my dad was brought to a hospital in new hampshire Uh, i flew home and was picked up by police and was escorted to the the hospital um, and he ended up passing the next day to, uh, due to his injuries. So it was just one day, he was supposed to pick me up from the airport that night, um, to come back from the wedding. He had dropped me off a couple of days before. Um, and I remember that being a really great car ride cause it was like five in the morning and I kept thanking him over and over for driving me and, um, we just like grabbed a coffee. So whose wedding, stories. whose wedding had you gone to? Yeah, it was a friend of mine from grad school. Uh, okay. so I had flown down there, uh, to visit and, um, I was in the ceremony. It was actually really beautiful. Um, and she, she had met my dad a few times and I remember just walking up to her. I'm like, my dad was in an accident and I have to go. Um, and actually at the, the wake, um, she was supposed to be on our honeymoon and she flew up to be at the services and, um, you know, years later, that still means, means a whole lot so to me. Much, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I have, I have some great friends, but yeah, it just, it was sim- similar, but different to my mother. It was just very sudden and very unexpected and very fast. Um, mm. yeah. 
That is uh, that is a lot. Plus, then also, then there's these other added then emotions because yeah. somebody else is responsible for your father's passing. Yes. Different. That's mm-hmm. a big, huge difference from your mom's passing yes. and your grandfather's passing. Mm-hmm. So take us into how was that emotionally and what, how, you know, grieving, mm-hmm. <laughs> grieving the passing of your dad, but with uh, this other layer on top of it. It was, it was very different. And I felt like I was, you really can't be emotionally prepared to, to go through a loss that fast, but I, it was almost like there was an acceptance a little bit quicker because I'm like, I'm alone now. And like, that's kind of how I felt. And, you know, everyone at that point, cause now both my parents were gone, turned to look at me and said, how are we going to get through this? Um, and I, obviously I had to plan the funeral and I sat at the same seat at the funeral home that I did for my mom and, and plan. I felt like I was on a first name basis with the people at the funeral home. And I, I think one of the most frustrating parts of it was we were still at the hospital and news and radio were contacting the hospital trying to get in touch with me. Um, There was news trucks outside the hotel I was staying at trying to get information. I was being followed. Uh, So I had to have a detective assigned to my sister and I to to be safe. Mm. I wasn't allowed to say certain things during the eulogy that I gave because I wanted to make sure that when it was broadcast on the news that um, whoever was following us didn't then try to follow whoever I talked about. So I was very particular. So I felt like I went into emergency management mode like I did at work. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And just kind of went into logistical planning of how we were going to do the services and was talking to people at the police department that were going to help and trying to to manage okay now what happens he had just changed his life insurance policies now i have to talk to the insurance policies because it happened too soon before he died and he didn't have a will because he hadn't got it set up after my mom died so i had to file things in probate court so there was so many logistical things that i had to deal with while i wasn't living in his home i was living on my own my sister was so i had to make sure we kept the house that she was okay that the house was in my name at that point, um, that all the insurance stuff was all set, stuff with city employees was all set. So I didn't get to grieve for a while, I felt like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was still in therapy, thank goodness. Um, I decided that not talking about how it was impacting me was not going to work this time around. Um, I needed to be more open and I needed to just deal with that vulnerability Um, And in some ways that backfired with how people reacted. But uh, for the most part, I think people recognized that I was just trying to be honest about where I was at. Um, And I think it helped. Examples of that. Can you give us examples of how that vulnerability backfired? Like, what is it that you were saying that people would Um, just curious? Because I'm like, I'm listening. I'm like, wait, why would it backfire for you to be genuine (laughs) with your emotions and with everything? there's I won't say who it was but okay. uh there there was one scenario where I was just sharing how I was feeling and um the person was like I just don't get it like I don't understand why it's a big deal uh based on their family dynamics um I'm like well 
not going to talk to you anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to share how I'm feeling with you because it's just not, I understand not having the perspective because years prior I didn't, but I think everyone has some experience with major change or loss, whether it's moving, like, just like you said, when we first started talking, you know, changing or growing or having situations develop or end or start, you know, we all are grieving something. And I was just amazed at people's lack of ability to even empathize empathy. back again too. Yeah. Even yeah. back to the empathy component. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was difficult. That was the major example, I guess. Yeah. But th- thank goodness that you did have the therapist and and that you were able to <laughs> yes. there be able to be naked per se with your emotions sure. <laughs> and mm-hmm. just be able to just have them all out. So it sounds like a lot of those months and, and you said you were close to being 29. So when was your birthday? Mm-hmm. So your dad passed away October. When it, when's your birthday? He passed October 9th. My birthday is the 29th of October. Oh, so that's it. Mm-hmm. How was that then for you? I can't even imagine. Yeah. Like yeah. That, I, I'm like, I go into that, my own kind of feeling kind of mode, but how mm-hmm. was it then on that 29th with, with yeah. without him there and still in the bit you were still doing so much of the business of grieving mm-hmm. I don't even know if you had even gotten to your grieving by that point so no um funny enough I actually my sister and my dad had gotten me tickets I don't know if you're uh, a musical fan um, I studied theater yeah so <laughs> oh wonderful um so I had gotten tickets from the two of them to see the original Broadway cast of Dear Evan Hansen on my 29th birthday uh that was absolutely incredible and it was you, are, are you like can't wait till you get to see it in the in the movie theater now too are you I'll definitely looking go. forward to it yeah I'll definitely go yeah I absolutely loved it and you know I think it was one of the first times that I really cried like obviously I did during the services but you know that show is just a gut punch of emotions in so many ways and it just kind of came out and uh, my sister also did I think to a point if I remember correctly she was struggling to let things out a little bit um, and then we had dinner with a family member and and got to talk about the show but also my dad and um, I think it was the best way like knowing that he gave me that experience uh even before he died and he didn't know what the show was he had no idea he was a me he liked musicals but that wasn't uh he was more old school uh Les Mis and Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat and Phantom of the Opera type of guy um it was it was a beautiful day it was pouring rain but it was a beautiful day um wow, so like so I've I'm looking, I'm, uh, I create images as you're talking. I create movies yeah. as you're talking. I'm <laughs> seeing the pouring rain, pouring tears, all this cleansing, uh, you know, going on with the, the emotions just coming out that could be mm-hmm. because of the show, but at the same time, using it as a catalyst Absolutely. to just let all your emotions of everything that had happened in the last, you know, year and a half to just pour out um mm-hmm. as well so it's like yeah the, the how when the mood outside <laughs> reflects the emotion it matched. It's like, yeah <laughs> it was oh, awesome wow. wow so that's so good that it was it was good now 
How then from there, this is 2017, did you go from there to then having a TED Talk and to even thinking about putting together a TED Talk? It was a dream. It was fantastic. Um, I was given the opportunity to uh, apply. So it was just an application that I put in. Uh, It was a new TED affiliated campus. So a lot of the TEDx uh, organizations are through colleges and universities around the country. uh, And you have to be affiliated in a certain way. And the students took care of all that stuff. Uh, And they put out a call for applications to be a speaker and like, I can't, I can't not. And I had been going back and forth and like, God, do I talk about something that I do at work or conflict resolution or training or something? And I'm like, you know, I think it's time to tell my story. I I had already wanted to write a book about it. I had wanted to, to write things out. It's how I feel best about things is when I put things on paper, like I can do this. So I applied, oh gosh. July of last summer. So while in the midst of the pandemic, I was actually furloughed. Uh Yep. So I was furloughed. Saying the date in case whenever, whenever somebody (laughs) listens because it's quite you know you never know the timing. So okay, July twenty twenty. July twenty twenty. I was furloughed from my job for a month, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply to this. Uh, I ended up uh, getting uh, an interview round where I had to give a ten minute spiel of what my talk would be. Uh, and then they chose speakers. And then in January, uh, we were chosen. So there was six of us that ended up going through about six weeks of classes uh, through TED. Like they have formalized uh, formalized classes that we did together virtually. And then we spent about five Saturdays out at my undergrad campus in Springfield, Mass, uh, rehearsing. And, you know, we, we had the the lessons from the classes on how to formulate your talk, how to create a message, how to put things into story format in a really uh, concrete way and practice timing. And I've never listened to myself on recording more times after, you know, recording my talk and then listening to it back to, to learn about my cadence and pacing and make sure I was under time. So, um, March of 2021, uh, we got to do a live event. And then, uh, oh my gosh, probably about two months ago now, uh, I was able to see it posted on YouTube. And now it's it's out there for the world. And it was such a positive experience, not only from a grief catharsis place, but also, you know, we were still in the pandemic and barely doing anything. And we were all starting to get vaccinated, but not all of us yet. Uh, based on, you know, that was when there was schedules of who could, who could get them when. And I'm like, this is my one thing. Like I can leave the house and like go to rehearsal and go visit a campus I love. And, um, it was such a positive experience from start to finish. I, I, I'm so grateful that I had it and it's opened up opportunities like these. So I, I couldn't be happier with it. That is so amazing. You know, you're, you're sharing about this cause that's, that's one of the things I want to do. I want yeah. to do a TED talk. I think I told you that in the little, you I did I might have yep. shared that. Yeah. You should. I'm like, I want to know how to do that yep. because I actually <laughs> did, you know, like a little vision thing. I actually wrote myself all the details, how it feels to hop on stage, how everything, what mm-hmm. I'm wearing, uh, um, 
And so to hear that they go through, I didn't have no clue that you go through all this training process and classes mm-hmm. and so forth. That is so incredible because not only are you having the opportunity to share your story, but you're also learning all these skills. So I yes. had no clue that they do all that. It was so helpful because the idea that I had and what I spoke on were similar in topic, but not in execution. Um, The whole concept of clean was something that I developed actually through the class portion, uh, realizing that I needed, I wanted something for people to have a very easy take-home message, Um, some of that you could latch onto, that you could remember, that's visual. Um, And I learned that from some of the skill building that we did during the courses. Uh, Otherwise, it was a little bit more about me and my story, which in some ways is impactful, but I think when you're putting it into tangible things that everyone can visualize, I think it, it, it was... It gave me the opportunity to broaden the scope of of who could be impacted by it. So much appreciated. That is wonderful. And then with the people then that you did, these six people, the six of you, yeah, uh, did this create a bond? Are you guys going through this process of learning and training and rehearsing? Mm-hmm. Are you close to the people that you got, went through this process yeah. with? Yeah, so they actually all know that I'm recording this today. Uh, oh, and they, they were so excited and... Um, it is such a great group of people. I'd say there's like four of us that, that talk pretty consistently. Um, and I, we've been each other's champions. One put out a self-published poetry book. One is, uh, was in the Paralympic trials. Um, you know, it, we've all had our own new life experiences since then. And we've been each other's champions for them. And, uh, we're trying to get together again. We want to help out with future events. So it's, um, they've definitely been an awesome support system and they were the whole time uh, during rehearsals. It was such a good group. So great. Like people you would have not met had you not no. gone through what you went through yeah. <laughs> too, you know, yeah. like it's like people come into your life, um, you know, as, as people exit our lives, right. In, in ways, but then there's also mm-hmm. people that come into our lives. And so this is great that you have this little, cheerleading squad here cheering yeah for, they're wonderful that is so amazing mm-hmm. um now how uh does your grief look like now what does your grief look like now in 2021 uh it ebbs and flows i think one of the biggest things is uh i have a i have a partner that uh i live with and he also has had uh, death and loss in his life. And I think one of the best things that I have taken from us being able to talk about those experiences is one, he gets it, but two, we're both just so open about I'm having a bad mom day or I'm having a bad dad day, or I saw this perceived message. I, my, my dad's police badge number was, uh, one nine three. Uh, I actually have it tattooed on my arm. Uh, and I'll see one nine three and like license plates or numbers at work. And, um, we'll point those things out and try to take anniversaries of passings or birthdays really seriously and do things to honor them. Uh, so I try to look at it from, that perspective more than anything else. Uh, but if I'm sad, I'm sad. Uh, you know, uh, 
in a couple weeks, it's the anniversary of my dad's accident. And um, I'm very aware of that. And I feel like my body can feel it when it gets closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get very tired and uh, have to pay attention to myself a little bit more. But I would say at this point, it's about honoring them and trying to move forward in a way that I think would make them proud. Um, my sister and I started a scholarship fund for the high school that my parents went to, uh, to try to uh, give back to students that want to go into public service fields. Um, so that has been really great to know that we're, we're giving back to communities in honor of them. So, um, it's still hard, you know, I think of down the road, if I get married or have kids, like they're not going to have grandparents. Um, and that's something that I, I struggle with a lot. Um, is grieving the the missed out future that I'm going to have. Mm. But um, yeah. And it's so interesting because you're grieving even now, just the idea of that, yeah. of that forward thinking, mm-hmm. right? It is so interesting how we do this with ourselves. Yeah. Like, like start grieving even before it even has happened. But, um, but we, we know that these moments are, will or may come that we're going to miss them again, grieve them again. Mm-hmm. I, I tell that, you know, when people talk about it being like this, a, a time as if it gets easier with time, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case because there are like really crucial moments in our life in which it just mm-hmm. can come pouring in again, right? right? Like somebody walking down the aisle on, you know, and nobody on their, you know, holding their arm, those kind of things. And Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to like put forward something here. (laughs) By the way, sorry, I noticed that was like even insensitive as I was saying it, but you know what I mean? It was just the, these things that come up that, um, that we may experience, like you said, if you, when Mm -hmm. you have children or if you have children, like, um, not having your parents there to support you in that process either, not only yeah. what the children are not having, but what you're not getting in that moment. Right. So um, those, yeah, those will be major uh, milestones uh, as mm-hmm. well in your grief journey. So I can, I can understand. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm going to be 33 next month. And uh, I often think about like, would they have been okay with the decisions I'm making? And, Obviously, it's hard to know because I feel like I've changed as a person, but I think one thing that I've tried is just to be as absolutely honest about where I'm at as I can, whether it's good, bad, ugly, Um, being really honest about how people's words impact me, whether it's a family member or a friend. Um, You know, we don't have time to waste to just sit on the ugly Um, and I still struggle with that. I think we all do. I, I tend to be a people pleaser type of person and I, I want to do right by people. But um, I, I think it's, I've been through enough uh, that I just want to live my life the way that I think I should um, and, and do the best I can in the process. So I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is just to kind of let go of the expectations uh, that I think I perceived were put on me. Uh, that I don't know if they actually existed. Um, and I'm getting better at it. I'm not great, uh, but it's a, it's a growth process just like anything else. 
I love the word perceived and I don't know, I'm curious how, how you're using it. It's so interesting because you're not making it be the fact, it's just how you took it. And yeah. I, I, I want to honor that because that is just such a huge growth component in us when we mm -hmm. switch to that. It's like, oh, this is how I perceived it, mm -hmm. perceived this situation, or this is how I perceived what this person said but yeah. it doesn't mean you know that and in that moment it's true to you it doesn't mean that that's what the person intended is that is that a phrase or way of being and thinking of perceiving something you've always had or is it something you've gained from either your own experiences or from going to the therapist just I'm I'm really curious because it's such yeah. a it, it's such a maturity in that I want to <laughs> just honor you for that it's so mature Oh, thank you. I would say it's a little bit of both. Uh, one, from an external place, I think it was my professional training. Uh, I manage, you know, roommate conflicts and conflicts between people and uh, major issues. So I think the intent versus impact of what people do and say is is something that I will look for in how to manage uh, issues that I see between people. Uh, Internally, I think that was a lot of uh, therapy and experience to get me to the point where I needed to take a step back and recognize that the expectations that I'm putting on myself to succeed or be perfect or be that type A oldest child that does everything perfectly isn't real. Um, and I'm just doing the best I can. And I hope that my support system will continue to support me, even if it doesn't look as perfect as it, it may have in the past. Um, and I think I was just tired of putting up a front that I was okay. Um, a lot of people would ask me after my mom passed away how my sister was doing or how my dad was doing. Um, and it never really followed up with how I was doing because they're like, you seem like you're doing great. I seem like I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, I wasn't, uh, but I, I put up a good front. And I think after my dad died, that was just not a thing. I, I was not going to do that again. I wasn't going to put myself through that again. If I was having a rough day, I was just going to tell people I was having a rough day. And that, that was that. Um, and I think more people accepted that than I expected. So seeing that response that I wasn't expecting opened the door for me to just be myself and show a little bit more flaws um, and know that people are going to still walk through the door. Um, so I, I learned a lot that way. Yeah. It's so liberating, right? It's so it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's yep. so There's so much freedom in that, in that vulnerability. There is just so much freedom and, and just the people that show up in your life and support you when you are vulnerable mm -hmm. uh, because they're really seeing you. <laughs> is just incredible, you know, and the people that probably start like not being around or probably right. just the ones that didn't need to be there either because they're uncomfortable with that. But mm -hmm. uh, that is so amazing. Now, uh, tell us about your memoir that's in the book, in the books, in the works. Um, yeah. And how is that process going? Oh my gosh. Earlier stages, uh, but I have little vignettes that I have put together, but it has always been always, always, always since kindergarten, first grade, I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, you know, I, I'm a little bit of an academic nerd where I went to my first college fair in seventh grade. Um, 
the college recruiters were very confused why a seventh grader was there. Uh, I even just had to, I kind of like, I only got it a few, wait, say, wait, college recruit, what? Uh Yep, I was 13. Um, But I wanted to learn about creative writing programs. I was dead set on it. Um, Obviously, I think I wanted to, eventually when I was applying to schools, I got a psychology degree and I wanted to, to work and I knew at that point, just in very large quotes, being a writer was not something I could commit to uh, at at 18. But I have wanted to write a book. I've toyed around with some ideas. And after these experiences, it was just so unique. And I don't like saying tragic because that makes it seem so large. And I don't know. I don't like that word. But it's visually intriguing the way that I had to deal with things is unique, uh, at least to me. And I wanted to share like the one skill that I know that I have and try to help people with it. So the plan is, and what I'm doing is balancing my own stories of walking linearly through the three deaths that we just talked about uh, as the portion of my life that I really want to focus on and then have it flash back to different points in my childhood that kind of influenced my reactions in the in the present in that point um so i i for example i had written a, a portion of my dad driving me to the airport and which is the last time i saw him and flashing back in my head one of the memories i have is uh he used to be in a, a softball league with a bunch of other police departments and i used to go with him and we'd sneak out of the house early on Sunday morning so my sister wouldn't wake up and we would leave her and my mom at home and walking down the same set of stairs and one of them was creepy. Uh, so walking down those stairs uh, when he drove me to the airport and then kind of thinking of all the times we've gone places together um, and trying to share those types of stories. Mm. So that's the intent. Um, I'm hoping to have it finished in the next year or so uh, to have it be published. But um, yeah, that's that's the plan. That's the big goal. Uh, yeah. But I, I'm at a point where it needs to happen. I feel like it's inside just waiting to come out. Um, I'm finally at a point where I can trust myself as a writer to, to tell that story accurately. Wonderful. That's yeah. Okay. When you're talking about the creaking step, I see it visually again there, but I see it like it's easy in a movie, right? To do those right. things. But then how do you do it like in a writing thing uh-huh. of like overlapping this little smaller little foot, you know, standing on yeah. a step compared to now, you know, as you're, mm-hmm. you know, your adult foot next to your dad's as you're, he's, you're coming down the stairs for him to take you to the airport. But you know, like that mm-hmm. visually there. I could just, I could see it in the little, like, you know, pan <laughs> down there. to the chair. You'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, that's awesome. I can't wait to, to hear when you message me that you have it out, then we'll make oh, sure to will. schedule you for an interview <laughs> then. Now, in the meantime, how can people uh, find you? Do you want to say yep. like, again, the repeat the name of the podcast, the podcast, the Ted talk sure. and any other, um, ways in which people can get in contact with you. Yeah, you got it. So uh, the TED Talk is called Cleaning Up the Grief Process, and that's just on YouTube. Uh, so if you either Google my name or that title, it'll it'll pop right up. Okay. Uh, and I'll link it then to the bottom in the show notes. I'll do perfect. that. Okay. 
It's through uh, TEDx Western New England University is the, the school that put it on, but it's cleaning up the grief process on YouTube. Uh, and then I'm also putting together, I just launched a website, so just daniellerimigio.com, uh, which will be a combination of uh, a blog, writing, uh, the talk will be on there as well, uh, as well as um, any presentations and trainings that I'm willing to put on. I'm definitely a trainer. I, I train a lot for my job and have some uh, ones built about grief and relationship building and conflict resolution uh, that people can book me for if they wish. Uh, and then Instagram, um, I, I have it connected as DL underscore Remigio on Instagram. Those will be the, the main places to find me. Wonderful. And thank you so much. It's been so lovely to be chatting with you and seeing this big, huge smile on oh, my thank screen you. <laughs> radiating. It's just uh, so refreshing. And it's easy. It's a nice conversation. <laughs> I'm glad you felt that. It's so interesting because yeah, people are like, "Oh, this was fun," and it's like, like people would probably never think of that when they're you know tuning in mm -hmm. to listen to a podcast about grief that actually having the opportunity to talk about it can be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, especially, you know, the, the gratitude that's in the name of your, your podcast. I think people can feel more gratitude when they realize what's at stake, you know, you can really feel connected to that. So I think I'm definitely grateful for the experience and the conversation and the experiences that have opened doors through everything, you know, making the best the of what growth. we got. Right. Yes, mm -hmm. the growth that has come and, and now all your ways of paying it forward because things that you mentioned even just of when you chose what to study and how you kind of married the the two elements of your mom and your dad, mm -hmm. but this 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 um this way of serving others, right? Service is mm -hmm. kind of like your one of your core at your core. Yeah. So, you know, and how you do with the school in the school setting, but now also how you serve others by sharing your story as well. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.